are beginning a new series of sermons today from Thessalonians. And I've chosen to title the series of sermons simply a pattern for the church. And I want to begin by reading God's Word. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that He's chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For now, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. May God add His blessing to our reading of His Word this morning. The end of this month marks the end of five years of ministry together. And this past week, I have often reflected on where we are now compared to where we were at that point five years ago. And so, let me begin with just a little bit of the state of the church. Now, I know that there are many who are in this picture that was taken in 1997 who... Uh, weren't at, at that time even regularly attending. It was a homecoming, a hundred year celebration that day. But the point I want to make is where are we in terms of attendance? Now, five years ago when I came to talk to the board, the average attendance was under 20. Now, we had been pushing 40 and even a few times between 40 and 50 prior to COVID. But now we're back up pushing 25 to 30 on a regular basis. But is that where we could be? I, I looked at some statistics this week. We have right at a thousand citizens in our community. And if you extend that beyond to Morocco and areas where others join us and attend, 
That number is even larger. Many, many, many of those people are unchurched. Worshipping nowhere. Not only that, right at 19% of our community identifies themselves as Hispanic. 2% of our community identifies themselves as other. We are pretty lily white. Is there any reason why we should not be reaching out to those other peoples that are right here in our community? In terms of new Christians, baptisms. I have baptized several since I have been here. But not recently. The last baptism I did was Donnie. Donnie Parrish. Came in one day and he said, you know, I've been attending here, been around, never been baptized. And we did it right here in the baptistry. I baptized Jeff, Pat's son, Jeff Cook, right here in the baptistry. But we haven't had very many baptisms for five years. New families? Praise the Lord. Rich and Cindy came to join us a few years ago now. Doesn't seem like uh, it's not been since the very beginning. And, and many of my things, it's like we all came together, but uh, they've come to join us and work with us. More, more recently, Marty and Diane have, although they were not strangers to the church and, and all, have, have chosen to come and worship with us, uh, as she said, uh, a year ago, January. Butch moved into the neighborhood, came one Sunday. I, I, I remember the Sunday as if it were yesterday, Butch walked in and as the service was over, he said, I found what I've been looking for. An old-fashioned church that preaches the Bible and sings the songs. New attempts to reach out to the community. Now I know, I've seen pictures back here of years past when there was a float and, and y'all were a part of the parade. But we hadn't done it since I'd been here. And so the last two years, we participated in the parade. Two years ago, I refused to ride and ended up basically almost dead at the end of the parade. It was much easier this last year, not only walking, but at times running along, staying up, not getting behind. And that's hard to do for somebody that likes to talk to everybody in the crowd when you're going down through. 
We're starting a preschool. But are there other ways that we could be reaching out to our community? Because aren't we called? Aren't we called to be making disciples? Not just baptizing and counting converts. We're called to be making disciples. I chose to move into Paul's letters to the church at Thessalonica because I truly believe they can help us begin to understand who we should be and what will make a difference as we strive to be the church God has called us to be. In his little commentary series, Warren Wiersbe said, these two letters were written to real people who were experiencing real problems in a world that was not friendly to their Christian faith. Could that sentence be made today about a letter being written to us? Absolutely. We are real people with real problems and we are living in a world that is not receptive to the Christian faith. We are living in a post-Christian society. And I said this at a Bible study a couple Wednesday nights ago. One of the problems, and I'm talking about a problem with, that has risen more in my lifetimes. I remember 50 years ago when I was a teenager getting ready to attend my second year of college. It's been that long already. 19 years of age. I went when I was 18. 19 years of age getting ready to start my second year of school, going to a church and having people in the Sunday school class that I was teaching that knew as much as I did as a second year student at Lincoln Christian School who had grown up in the church. But 50 years later, we are by and large biblically illiterate. I've heard things said that it's in the Bible that are quotations of Benjamin Franklin. Nowhere in the Bible do you find God helps those who help themselves. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, you know, the Bible says God helps those who help themselves. No, nah, the Bible doesn't say that. We are biblically illiterate. And I think as I read that first chapter, that Paul gives us a, a nomenclature, a, a tool to use to organize our thoughts, a, a rubric in, in education terms, by which we can measure what is really worth considering. And that nomenclature, first of all, uh, it involves three things. Paul specifies the reason for his thanksgiving with a trio of terms, faith, love, and hope. 
And those appear several times in Paul's letters. Romans 5, 1 Corinthians 13, Galatians 5, Ephesians 4, Colossians 1, and again later in 1 Thessalonians 5, 8. We'll come back to the three of them. You might have noticed as I read the first chapter that in this particular text, each of those three terms is connected to a particular response that's produced by it. Literally, the Greek text reads, your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope. So let's look at those three. A faith that functions. Paul is always emphatic that we are saved by faith and not by works. Many of you have heard someone at some point emphasize Galatians chapter 2 verse 16 where he writes, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But he's very specific. <coughs> By works of the law. And that phrase means much more than just by what we do. But I don't have time to unpack that this morning. And that's why Paul can write to Titus what he identifies as a trustworthy saying. We've talked about that on Wednesday nights. That those who have believed in God may be careful, listen, to devote themselves to good works. Chapter 3, verse 8. And again, Titus chapter 3, verse 14. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. And we can't be saved by what we do. We can't do enough. We can't be good enough to earn our salvation. But as Christians, we are called to be devoted to doing good works. And when Paul writes to the Christians at Ephesus in chapter 2, again, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works so that anyone can boast. But notice how he continues in verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Faith is not just what you have between your ears. Faith involves how we function. That's why James could write, could write, you believe there's one God? Good. The demons even believe that. Show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. Faith has to be functioning. But then secondly, Paul says that there's to be a labor of love. Love that labors. 
He's thankful for their labor of love, in fact. And the word he uses there for love is the Greek word agape, which in the New Testament is most frequently used to refer to the love of God for humanity. Despite our unworthiness, and to the same kind of love which people are to show to others. But here it's grounded on faith in God who demonstrates His love to us in Christ. Though as Paul would indicate in 1 Corinthians 13, love even surpasses faith. You ever stop to think about that? How 1 Corinthians 13 ends? But there are these three, faith, hope, and love. They abide. But then what's Paul say? But the greatest of these is love. Why? You know, don't you, that your faith is going to stop when you get to heaven. Because faith is in believing in things unseen. And once we get to heaven, once heaven comes to us, once we are with God, we don't have to have faith anymore because it's right there. But love's going to continue. Love's going to continue. And not only that, the word that Paul uses here for love is the Greek word kapos. Kapos. It's often used to refer specifically to difficult and tiresome work. Now, I don't think any of you will disagree with me this morning when I say that not everybody is easy to love. Sometimes love involves hard work. But to be the Christians we're called to be, to be the church that we're called to be, we need to be known by our labors of love. Paul's point is that genuine love, like genuine faith, produces action. <laughs> but thirdly then, he talks about hope that endures. Hope characteristically comes at the end of each of Paul's lists because of its orientation to the future. And as used in the New Testament, hope suggests a confident expectation about the future. Our hope is grounded but not in our own abilities. Our hope is to be grounded in God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness to carry out the work which He's initiated in Christ. As Paul would express in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, I am sure of this, he said, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You're not going to be able to get your work done. Somebody asked me if, you, if I wanted more hours in the week. I said, no. No, because I wouldn't get any more sleep. I'd just end up working that many more hours. Somebody called me Friday afternoon at 4.30. And they said, uh, I, I hope I'm not bothering you now that you're back home with your family. I said, no. I'm sitting in my office. I don't know what you're talking about. When I came here, they said, we'd like you at least to get 20 hours in the office a week. I, I usually have that by Wednesday. At the latest. 
Because we have work to do. And I'll tell you what, I was, I was, I was made to feel guilty. They didn't do it. I felt guilty because of what I heard. But I'm not convinced, brothers and sisters, that we are doing anywhere near what God wants us to be doing in terms of His kingdom. Listen to me. What stands in the way of the full realization of the blessings in the present life is our ongoing struggle with evil. A struggle made more acute by the opposition which our faith generates. But the confident confident expectation that God will indeed fulfill His promise to the nth degree should give us as believers the assurance that we need to endure the persecution and the sufferings that will come our way in this present age. And remember, Christianity is not a religion. A religion is an attempt to reach out to God. By definition. Christianity is not a religion. It's supposed to be a relationship. Loving and dwelling with. Abiding with God and with our neighbors. This past Monday and Tuesday, Jesse and I attended a small church conference in Morton, Illinois. And one of the speakers pointed out that John 3.22, where we are told that Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside, the word that's translated spent time in the phrase where he spent time with them, or in the ESV, he remained with them, that word is the Greek word diatribo. Can you say diatribo? Diatribo. Have you ever heard the word diatribe? What's a diatribe? Where people are kind of getting at it. Diatribo is made from a preposition through and the word to rub. Through rubbing together. Jesus was rubbing together with the disciples. And Christianity is about rubbing together with other people. But often we try to win other people to Christ this way. <laughs> we don't want to get too close. Because if we get too close, <coughs> it might get messy. But you know what? It's supposed to get messy. Rub your hands together. And push them together real hard. What do you feel? You feel the friction. It's starting to get warm, isn't it? And sometimes if we're living the Christian life the worst way we're supposed to, it's going to get heated. It's going to get warm. <coughs> I know my time is up, but there's three things that I want to share with you this morning from this first chapter.
Why was that church such a tremendous witness to Macedonia and Achaia? Well, first of all, Paul says, because of their conviction. Verse 5. And he uses three words to describe uh, them that would distinguish their gospel from the other messages which the readers were encountering. Power, here refers to the power of God. Implied by the focus on God's action in the previous verse. But not only is there power, there's the Holy Spirit. That's the source. And the result of the deep conviction is another Greek word uh, there that, that they are being seen as being convicted. So what's that mean? Do people see your conviction or do they see your wishy-washiness? Do they see your commitment to the church body and the believers? Or do they see something that, well, I got this going on so I'm not going to be able to be there with the church group. Allowing everything and anything to come in between our involvement with our brothers and sisters. The second thing that he talks about in verses 4, 9, and again in 10, I believe it to be very important, a very important key that they were not only convicted, but he says they were changed. They were changed. They had a new family. He refers to them in the endearing term. Brothers. Sisters. They also had a new focus. <coughs> it was a focus that enabled them to continue despite, despite the persecution and all that was taking place. And if you have an NIV, uh, there's a phrase, a Greek phrase that's in, in these verses that the NIV doesn't even translate for some reason. They, they leave it out completely. Our ESV has it. It's where Paul says, uh, concerning us, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and, and the point is, is that he wasn't pointing to himself. He's saying that what's taken place is the way you've responded to our teaching and our model and, our and what we've provided for you has resulted in other people seeing how sincere it is and, and the change that has taken place. And then third and finally, they allowed themselves to be channels. Verse 6, they became imitators. And you became imitators of, of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And that imitation resulted in them being imitated. Verse 7. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. 
When I was looking at this, I, I, I was reminded this week, some people of you now are spending enough time around me to, to know that when I hear things, I'm reminded of lyrics of songs. Uh, happens on too frequent of a basis. But when I was thinking about this, of, of, of being imitators and being imitated, I hate to admit this one, but I'm going to claim Rockwell because Rockwell initially came out with a song. It was a remix done by Michael Jackson. I'm going to claim Rockwell. Who's watching? Tell me who's watching. Who's watching me? I'm just an average man with an average life, but why do I always feel like I'm in the twilight zone and I always feel like somebody's watching me? Listen to me. People are watching. They are watching to see if we really are sincere. They're watching to see if what we believe makes any significant difference at all. And you know when it starts? When they're this big. Sydney walked across the room back here the other day toward the maintenance closet. And Quinlan said, are you going to vacuum? <laughs> because when Cindy goes to that closet, often what she gets out of that closet is what? The vacuum, the vacuum cleaner. The sincere belief of Paul, Silas, and Timothy was reproduced in the readers. Why? Because they saw something they wanted. And if people don't see us behaving differently, changed lives, living in a way that they're not experiencing, why should they be a part of this social group when they can go to another social group during happy hour and be treated like somebody likes them and cares about them. So, here's my challenge for this week. Because you see, I've come to learn that it's easy to keep your chin up when everything's going fine. I've had family members that, oh yeah, yeah, positive this, positive that. But then the first thing negative happens in their life and it's, I don't know if God really hears me. I don't know if God really loves me. You see, things change quickly. Excuse my phrase, but I worked hard to figure out a different one that would convey this meaning that you all know. Things change quickly when poop hits the fan. So here's my challenge for this week. I want to challenge you to be good witnesses by scoring well on the nomenclature of spirituality, having a faith that functions, a love that labors, and a hope that endures. And as that first chapter concludes, as I read, 
I want to challenge you to turn to God from idols to serve the living and the true God and to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Let's pray. Father God, we come before You today not the church You have called us to be. Not even the church that's reaching out to this community in a dynamic way. Not the church that I had hoped we would be five years ago when we came. But Father, it's not about me. It's about us as a body of believers. Help us, Father, to develop a faith that functions, a love that labors, and a hope that endures. And we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.